give your attention to our reading of the Passion History of our Lord Jesus Christ, compiled from the four Gospels. Tonight we hear Jesus before Pilate. Very early in the morning at daybreak, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin met together, and Jesus led them, was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. He answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you the Son of God? He replied, you are right in saying I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. The whole assembly rose. They bound Jesus and led him from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor and handed him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the, silver, the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Then the chief priests and elders began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Do you think I am a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this he went out to the crowd and announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. The chief priests and elders accused Jesus of many things. Pilate asked him, 
don't you hear how many things they are accusing you of? Jesus gave no answer. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. The chief priests and elders insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him perform some miracles. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. This is the word of our Lord. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word for our consideration this evening is found in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 18, verses 4 through 11. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? This is the word of our In the name of Jesus Christ, whose hands and feet were pierced for our transgressions. It had to be Peter, didn't it? Uh, of all the four Gospels that record what happened to our Lord Jesus that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's only John that actually identifies the disciple that pulled out his sword and, and locked off the ear of the high priest's servant. But even if St. John hadn't been inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell us the name of him, I think we all probably would have found ourselves saying, that sounds like something Peter would do, doesn't it? I mean, Peter was one of Jesus' first and dearest disciples. Peter, though, had, had a kind of a... Um, Act first, think about it, second attitude. Sometimes that, that, that stood him pretty well. For instance, it was Peter who gave that, that beautiful confession of faith when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter was the one that came out and said, you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. It was Peter, not the other apostles, that, that had the courage to step out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee that night that Jesus came walking on the water toward them. It was Peter, the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest in the garden, who, before any of the other disciples did, said, I would die before I disown you, Jesus. But sometimes that um, ready, fire, aim attitude of St. Peter didn't serve him all that well. You remember right after G Peter had given that beautiful confession of faith in Jesus, after he had said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what he did right after that? Pulled Jesus aside and had the gall to rebuke Jesus and try to dissuade him from going to the cross. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. Pretty sure Peter never forgot that stinging rebuke of his Lord. But I'm also pretty confident that he didn't really take it to heart. Not at first. Because here we are on Maundy Thursday, the night of our Savior's betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter does basically the same thing. Only he didn't use his words to dissuade Jesus from carrying out his work of salvation at the cross. He used his hands. Specifically, a hand that was carrying a sword. We know why those armed guards bearing swords and clubs and spears, we know why they came out to see Jesus. They hated him. They were bent on arresting him ultimately killing him. But Peter had his sword out for a very different reason. He drew his sword because he loved Jesus. And we do too, don't we? When, when we hear Jesus' name being dragged through the mud in our society, does, doesn't that make you want to defend your Lord? Don't you want to do something about it? When people mock or disregard his word, don't you want to defend your Savior like Peter did? I know I do. And, and that's good. And that's God-pleasing. But we need to be very, very careful. We need to be very careful that we don't go too far and end up like Peter. With hands. Hands of misplaced zeal. St. John is also the only one of the four gospel writers who records something else that happened that night that Jesus was betrayed in the garden. Something that, that proved beyond a shadow of a doubt who was in control in that whole incident. And it wasn't the high priests and the teachers of the law and the elders of the people. It wasn't the, their armed soldiers who came out to arrest Jesus. When Jesus asked them, who is it you want? And as St. John points out, Jesus knows all things. He knew very well who they wanted. But he asked them, who do you want? And, and when they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am he, I'm sure those armed soldiers thought, okay, this is going to be a piece of cake. 
He's unarmed. He looks harmless. We're armed. We're many people here. We're, we're just going to grab him and bind him and drag him back to Jerusalem. But that's not what happened, is it? As soon as he said that, they, they toppled over like bowling pins. They weren't in control. Jesus was. And that wasn't the only thing that happened during his arrest that, that demonstrated who was in control. Notice how Jesus was dictating the terms of his arrest to those armed soldiers. He said, if, if I'm the one you want, then let these men go. And, and they gave in without a, without a word. And Peter was taking it all in. Peter saw all of that. But instead of taking advantage of the opportunity that Jesus purposely gave him, that is, that he could have left safely, Peter, good old Peter, Peter, act first, think later, Peter, ready, fire, aim, Peter, decided he had to do something. He had to take matters into his own hand and defend his Savior with his sword. So what do you think Peter was thinking when he drew out his sword Maybe the answer is he wasn't thinking. He, he just acted spontaneously, just, just from pure emotion, that he saw his friend in need being threatened, and, and, and he was going to help his friend. Or maybe, maybe Peter did think about it. Maybe he was thinking about the words that he had spoken in the upper room just hours earlier when he said, I would die rather than disown you. I will die to defend you, Jesus. And maybe he thought, now's my moment, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Whatever the case, it certainly is good and God-pleasing to defend one's friend, and especially if that friend is your Lord and Savior. Except in this case, his Lord and Savior didn't need to be defended. Jesus didn't need Peter's help, and Peter, of all people, should have and undoubtedly did know that. Peter had just spent three years with Jesus. Think of how many miracles Peter had witnessed Jesus perform. Everything from, from making water into wine to, to, to raising the dead. He had just witnessed with his own eyes that a dramatic act of power as those as those armed soldiers toppled over, and he had heard with his own ears Jesus say on more than one occasion, this is what has to happen. I must be handed over to my enemies. I must be put to death. And on the third day rise again. But Peter stepped in. With what he considered to be God-pleasing and 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 the kind of zeal that God would expect of him, but what turned out to be extremely misguided zeal. Kind of hard, maybe, for us to, to find a, a, an exact correlation or parallel to what Peter did, taking matters into his own hands and resorting to, to deadly force and violence to defend his Lord. Kind of hard to, to maybe think of how that might correlate today to, to believers in Jesus. Maybe, maybe we think of incidents that happened in past history, like the, 
like the Crusades or the Inquisition, which were indeed some of the darkest moments in Christianity when people carried out horrible acts of violence in the name of their faith. Or maybe we think about modern incidents like a, perhaps a, 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 somebody who is filled with zeal for, for God's gift of life and in the name of their faith, at least in their minds, and in the name of their Lord in their minds, they, they do something like bomb an abortion clinic. But we wouldn't do that. We recognize that would be a sin against the fifth commandment, regardless of, of their motivation. It's wrong. We wouldn't do that. But don't we so often act like Peter in this? That we instead of trusting in God and his promises and in his word, think we have to do something, we have to contribute to it, we have to take matters into our own hands. When, when we say or hear things like, if only we would elect the right politicians, then the Christian church would thrive again. As if God needs us and our votes politicians to accomplish his will? Or, or if we say or think or hear, if only our church would change a little bit. Maybe we could maybe we could get as big as some of those other churches in town. If only we would have different format of our worship or have different programs or or do this, that, or the other thing. If only then, then God would make our church grow. As if the gospel needs our efforts to succeed. Certainly, God wants good and godly rulers, and, and, and certainly it's a good thing for us to, to, to support them with our votes. Certainly, God wants Christians and Christian congregations who try to reach their community by whatever means possible and are, and are, and are very zealous in their faith, but he wants zeal that is, first and foremost, guided by his word and trusting in his promises. Peter, when, when he drew his sword out with that seal, that, that, that seal that was flowing through his hand to defend his Savior, was undoubtedly not thinking and not trusting. He wasn't trusting what God had said. He wasn't trusting what Jesus had said to him. God wants Christians who have zeal for him, but zeal that starts with a firm and confident trust in his word. Zeal that says, it's not us, it is you, Lord. It's not what we do, it's what you do and what you have done. Use us, Lord, but let's not fool ourselves into thinking God needs our power, our might. He doesn't. The kind of zeal God wants is a zeal that starts with a calm trust in his word and a firm grip on his promises. Jesus rebuked Peter that night. A stinging rebuke, almost as stinging as that one earlier when he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, put your sword back. Don't you think that I need to drink the cup my father gave me 
Why was he so harsh with his friend? Because he knew what was on the line. Our salvation. Jesus had to go to the cross with our sins. He did not need, in fact, he did not want his friend to interfere with that. He wanted his friend to trust in what he had said to him and trust his power, trust his promises. And so he did go there to the cross. We also hear an aftermath in the Gospels, not in John's account that I just read, of what happened to that servant whose ear Peter had cut off, that servant named Malchus. In the final miracle before his death, Jesus did something amazing. He reached out and he touched that man's bleeding ear and, and he healed him. So why do you think Jesus did that? Why would Jesus heal the ear of somebody bent on, on arresting and ultimately killing him? Why would he heal his own enemy? Why? Because that's who Jesus is. And that's what he came for. To heal sinners. To restore sinners. And that's what he's done for us too. He reached out his hand for you and me too. He reached them out on, on that cross as he allowed the soldiers to drive nails through them. And as Isaiah had prophesied 700 years earlier, by his wounds, we are healed. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.